Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis? Well, We are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Thank you for our wonderful listeners joining us on the podcast. In this episode, we're going to be exploring the ever-expanding world of psychedelics. My guest today is Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Madeline. It's uh, great to be here. So I do this with all of my guests before we, you know, dive into the topic, you know, tell us a little bit about you and like, how did you get into the world of psychedelics? Yeah, it's been a bit of an unexpected journey, I imagine, as many people's stories are. Um, I actually come from pretty liberal, hippie, open-minded parents myself, and so found my path in life very much in the other direction. Entered the corporate world as early as possible, spent most of my years in uh, management and strategy consulting in New Zealand, in Hong Kong, and in Bangkok as well. Um, And about five years into my years in Hong Kong, I just realized that I wasn't getting any incremental joy from life in terms of the next client, the next promotion, the next deal, you know, the next thing just wasn't giving me any, any incremental joy. And so, um, you know, I was an atheist at the time, could not have convinced me that anything spiritual existed in this world. And um, so I decided to take a year off. And as part of that, uh, was lucky enough to participate in a pretty life-changing retreat with a couple of friends of mine in Peru. So that was kind of what opened the door. And then it's been a, uh, a humbling and learning journey since then, uh, over the past uh, five years, just over five years now. Wow. Amazing. Well, I'm sure we'll dive a little more into what uh, what that sort of looks like. So I guess we should probably start with building some context of like when we're talking about, you know, psychedelics. I mean, there's like a psychedelic, you know, renaissance happening um, where, you know, there's a lot more research coming out and a lot more studies and a lot more talking about it. But that can encompass a multitude of different things. So maybe we can start with like, what are psychedelics and like the different kinds that are, you know, what are we talking about here? Yeah, sure. So I guess um, when we speak about psychedelics or we talk about plant medicine, you know, most of those that we work with, we tend to call them plant medicine as opposed to psychedelics. Um, But when we speak about psychedelics, most commonly we're talking about LSD, magic mushrooms, uh, ayahuasca, um, San Pedro or peyote cacti 
and um, and more recently, you know, the the toad has also become uh, quite popular, which is 5-MeO-DMT, which is easily the most powerful uh, plant medicine. There's many other psychedelics that are out there. There's many other um, uh, plant medicines that are out there, but those are the ones that people tend to to hear about, and those are the ones that people tend to pursue um, because they're just more common. Okay, fair enough. I um I just had this like funny image in my head of somebody licking a toad. That's not. I'm, I'm assuming that's not what people do. Like that's not how you do it. <laughs> you have to pay extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Fair enough. It's so interesting. I I uh, recently saw a headline in my like Apple News or whatever that um, people are smoking toad. Is that mm-hmm. is that is that a thing? Yeah, so the the five meo DMT comes in. Actually, it comes in three forms. It comes in uh, plant based form, which is uh, often uh, referred to as yopo. Um, then it has an animal based form, which is um, what you're describing. You know, toad venom, also known as bufo, or um, sometimes people use the chemical name also five meo DMT. Uh, and then it also has a synthetic form. Uh, and so they're three quite different experiences, despite having. Uh, the same underlying active psychedelic molecule. Interesting. That just, I'm like, really? Like when I saw the headline, I was like, is this like a, like a clickbait funny thing? Or like, is this, I'm like, Hmm. Okay. Um, So you mentioned different forms. Do the other plant medicines also come in different forms as well? Like yeah, yeah, it's a question worth asking. Um, you know, there's so many variables that uh, play a role. I mean, if we take ayahuasca and psilocybin as two of the um, other medicines that we work with, then when it comes to ayahuasca, you know, it's it's two plants coming together, confusingly ayahuasca and another plant known as shikruna. And so because it's natural, then every batch is different. Um, and you know, there are many traditions, uh, that use ayahuasca. And so they also have their own additional elements that they can bring into the medicine as well. Um, and so, you know, each medicine, each batch of medicine is, is quite different actually. Uh, and the same to, to a large degree, uh, also holds for psilocybin in the sense that, you know, the conditions and the care under which, uh, it was produced really do make a difference. So, you know, for example, some of our private healers, um, they only buy their psilocybin uh, mushrooms from people who chant mantras to the mushrooms every day as they're taking care of them. Now that has, believe it or not, this is something I would have laughed at years ago, but that has a profound impact on the nature of the medicine, the energy behind the medicine and and what it will bring to you relative to someone who is boasting about their 50,000 square foot commercial, um, you know, commercial, commercially grown mushroom operation, which is, again, the motivations, the energies behind those two things are just fundamentally different. Interesting. And and I totally believe that. I mean, I've seen, um, you know, discussions around people like thinking of, of an emotion around water and then taking pictures of those water model molecules and looking how how they might be different. So um, that makes total, total sense. And didn't they do like an experiment or something in a high school where they took a plant and kids would talk mean to it and the plant died and then kids would talk really nice to a plant and it lived just to show that like the energy is a thing. 
Absolutely. And look, this is, again, one of those things that five years ago, I would have laughed anyone out of the room who would pro have proposed that such a thing had uh, a scientific basis, but um, exactly right. And, and I think there's a bunch of those recorded on YouTube as well, or people doing it with water, with plants, with other things, and just seeing that the, in, in, in practice, there are, there are very different uh, things that arise by virtue of the energy uh, the treatment um, that uh, the, the different um, plants or the different water is given. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like so interesting and uh, fascinating. Definitely a different talk for a different time. So let's, um, so I'm curious about, you know, from your, um, so you sort of alluded to this, that you were sort of living a life that, you know, most people would sort of do get a good job, you know, get good, good clients, you know, earn a living. And then you're like, well, well, where's the like contentment and the joy and the feeling at peace with oneself. Um, so I'm curious about, you know, in your experience, you know, what are some of the reasons that you know, people might be seeking out these retreats or these specific, uh, you know, experiences, these plant medicines, you know, what, what have you been seeing and hearing? Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm going to link it back to um, what we just spoke about in terms of, you know, the energy associated with things. So um, the National Science Foundation recently, you know, published some, some interesting stats around uh, people's thinking. Right. And what it showed was that your typical person thinks between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. Um, 100% or very close to it are egoic thoughts. So that's I, me, my related thoughts. 95% um, of those thoughts are repetitive, and 85% of those thoughts are negative. So we think a lot only about ourselves, the same things, and unfortunately, most of us, bad things. And so when we talk about, you know, well, okay, if that's, if speaking to a plant or speaking to water is having this sort of effect, then what sort of effect is that having on your body and your being and your soul? Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people, uh, you know, there's a broad set of motivations in terms of uh, clients that we work with, but in a broad sense, there's a category that I would say has to do with healing, uh, a second, which is more around creativity, growth and expansion, uh, and then a third around deepening their, their spirituality. Uh, and of course, there's overlaps between those two, but, you know, I think in particular, we're at a juncture where a lot of people don't feel like they're really connected with their true purpose. Uh, and so, you know, they, they feel disconnected from their higher selves. So I think to a great degree, people are trying to get more clarity in relation to what they're here for, what their unique gifts and strengths are, you know, often they're tied back to their story. And and to be able to expand so that they can, you know, bring bring their gifts out into the world and, and give them to others. Because I think, you know, fundamentally, not a single one of us is a random permutation of evolution. And each one of us has something very special to give uh, to the broader collective. And, and more people are really, you know, motivated to tune into that. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, um, there are certain periods in life where these questions seem to bubble up in, in our lives. You know, I'll, I'll put in air quotes like midlife, you know, midlife crisis. You know, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, cause I found it within myself transitioning from twenties into mid thirties, kind of not from like a crisis perspective, but more from a perspective of like, wow, you know, like I'm 35 is like, is this, is this like what, 
this is all going to look like now, like, and then transitioning into be, becoming a mother was like another, you know, so I had those two simultaneous things like, holy, I'm not young anymore, you know, quote unquote, not as young as I was. And now I'm a mom and like, now what does it sort of mean? So I feel like, um, you know, we have these moments in our life where, you know, we kind of pause and we're like, huh, what is the rest of this going to look like? And I think the pandemic certainly has created a massive um, existential crisis where yeah. we're like, what is the meaning? Am I, you know, when your entire, literally the entire world collectively and individually is literally shattered and like uncertain and in that like negativity spiral, you know, it certainly brings up those why am I here questions, I think. Yeah, uh, well said. And, um, you know, it's a, it was unfortunate. There's uh, some of our healers are very energetically sensitive, right? And, and again, going a little bit into the woo woo. Um, but certainly when COVID hit, they could feel that our collective vibration really dipped very seriously. Um, and I think we're I think we're bouncing back from that now. You know, I think to to a large degree, people are a bit over it and um, and motivated to work on themselves uh, in all aspects in terms of, you know, physical health and making sure that they've got uh, a strong immune system. And then also, you know, I think a lot of people were shown that uh, perhaps life, their mental health and the life that they had around them wasn't as all fine and dandy as um, they were able to pretend it was when they were really busy. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I think Americans are particularly guilty of this one, but you know, around the world too, um, and just keeping so busy that you don't have to face uh, some of the realities of, you know, personal life that may not be going or, you know, internal, internal stuff as well as personal life that may not be as uh, harmonized as we might like to be. Yeah. hundred, hundred, hundred percent. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I'm curious about, you know, um, chatting a little bit about consciousness and, and how these medicines, you know, help people see things differently because you sort of mentioned people are looking for healing. People are looking for creativity and expansion. People are looking for greater connection to, you know, nature, self, others, the transcendent, you know, how do these things work? How does it help people do those things to satisfy those motivations? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I like to link it a few different ways. I think one of the things that I like to first speak about is the fact that, you know, I think in the media today, what we see is a large degree of focus on the large, on the lower levels of consciousness, right? So there's this kind of medicalization push, uh, shall we say. And so people need to be diagnosed with anxiety or depression or PTSD or addictive disorders or OCD, you know, the list goes on and on. And you keep seeing headlines that seem to point to the fact that these medicines can be used uh, more successfully than any of the other tools that we had for this broad variety of uh, various mental health afflictions. Now, don't get me wrong, of course, we want people who are suffering to be better, but I think it's a very limited view that the media is given. Um, because, you know, yes, you can use these substances to get from a bad place to a better place. But fundamentally, I, I really 
uh, truly believe and, and have experienced personally that we've just set the, the bar for mental health in entirely the wrong place. You know, after generations of war, uh, intergenerational trauma, uh, all of those sorts of things that have, you know, found their way into, into the collective psyche and individual psyches, then we've set the bar for mental health. And, you know, now the goal is to get people just above the bar so that they can get back to work and uh, be functional in society. But, you know, I think this is a time where more people are very motivated to be at their very best, you know, thriving in their mental and emotional and spiritual health and just really connect to their purpose and motivated to bounce out of bed every morning and, you know, bring good things and beautiful things out into the world. And so that is, I think, a narrative that to a broad extent has, has just not made it out. And that's what I think these medicines are much more exciting in relation to what they can give to the world. Again, we, we want people who are suffering to be better, but we want everyone to be doing not just okay, but really well. Um, and so for me personally, you know, if you had measured my mental health by any modern standard, I would have imagine that I would have been close to 100 out of 100. Uh, but there was so much healing work for me to do once I really opened up and understood, um, you know, the nature of this work. So the other few things I like to share is that, um, you know, these medicines, as people begin to read, and as there's more commercial organizations like our own, um, that are motivated to, you know, serve clients, then there's this bit of a kind of an upweighting of the good and a bit of a downweighting of the bad or not telling of the bad. And I think it's super important for people to research some of the more challenging experiences that are out there because these can be, you know, quite challenging experiences. Um, and, and what some of the science has told us more recently is that uh, number one, these medicines are very powerful for helping us uh, reconnect to our joy for life. Number two, they're really great for deepening our spirituality, connection to the sacred. And number three, and this is the piece that's so overlooked, it doesn't help us remove feelings of negativity and toxicity. So the mental and emotional work really is a fundamental component to this work. So unless we actually go into the work with an understanding of the patterns of mind, the limiting beliefs that we want to rid ourselves of, and if we come, if we step into that work with tools for emotional release and emotional processing, so that we can let go of the shame, the guilt, the fear, the grief, the apathy, the anger, the envy, you know, all those things that are often trauma-related responses that are stuck in our physical and energetic body, then we're just taking psychedelics, right? I often say to our clients, I say, look, look at any psychedelic community. If that's the energy that you aspire to, well then, you know, go ahead and take a bunch of psychedelics and you'll probably get what you want. Um, but for most people, they're like, no, no, that's not what I want. I want to be, you know, I want to be much better. I want to elevate my consciousness. I want to raise my vibration. Uh, and so for that to be done in a sustainable way that actually leads to improvements to quality of life, you know, again, I say to my clients, you don't actually want an ayahuasca retreat. That's like, you just believe that an ayahuasca retreat can lead to improvements in quality of life. And so that's why we're talking. Uh, and so unless we do the mental and emotional work, I think it's very difficult for people to have really sustained transformation uh, in their everyday lives through psychedelics. So I actually think of the tools themselves as neutral. I'm not actually kind of pro psychedelic. It's the intentionality and it's what goes around the guidance, the expertise that makes the, the big difference. Yeah, it makes sense to, you know, be doing doing sort of the work before going into these experiences um, because, you know, if you're not kind of looking or have some level of understanding of your own emotional and 
you know, mental things going on. Uh, it could, I, I imagine it can come quite as a shock as well under plant medicine, things that you may not have been prepared for, expected to show up and can be scary really at times, especially if there are some uh, deep hidden, uh, you know, traumas that maybe the, you know, the psyche has done a really good job of like, boxing it somewhere hidden. Um, yeah. I can imagine that could be a scary experience for somebody if they don't maybe have some preparation and, or at least some way of um, supporting themselves afterwards. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned those things because that was exactly my first experience is unlocking some childhood trauma that I fundamentally didn't know was there, wasn't prepared for. Um, I think for a lot of people, you know, if you've got unexplained character traits, then that's, I think, a, a sign, right? If you get angry and frustrated easily and you just don't know why, um, then I think that's often impatience, also another one. Um, so if these are, if there's character traits that you wish weren't there and don't know why they are there, then often there's something there to, to look at. Uh, and as you say, you know, being, being able to step into this work prepared for what may eventuate makes such a, such a fundamental difference to the quality of outcome that's possible. Uh, my own experience was basically three and a half years of quite a few different retreats around the globe. Um, I didn't know that I should be doing this mental and emotional work. No one, no one told me um, because it was, you know, this, this ecosystem is still emerging to a, to a great degree. And um, so I was attending all these retreats. I was, you know, I was reading spiritual books. I was doing a lot of meditation, uh, but I was missing. I was missing the deeper breakthroughs that are available um, just because I, I didn't have the expert guidance. Um, and I also recognized that uh, despite the best intentions of the people that I was working with, they weren't what I would now describe as healers. Now, healers are able to transmute energy on behalf of their clients. So there's a lot of people out there who might be medicine men or medicine women or uh, psychedelic therapists. And so, you know, they can hold space, they can um, take care of things on the mental, emotional and the physical level, but the energetic is an entirely different paradigm and realm. And so um, if that's something that's not understood, as it isn't by most of the clinical trials that are ongoing today, um, you know, and that's why we see people flying to see shamans and healers in, in places where this work is legal is because they have an energetic understanding of this work. And that's so fundamental to being able to, you know, again, get the deeper breakthroughs, clear the energies from our field um, so that we can actually, you know, feel a lot better on a more sustainable basis, as opposed to, you know, got really high for a week uh, and now feel pretty much the same as I did before. Yeah, the, uh, the integration part, right? The being able to, you know, integrate that entire experience and the energies of that, I, I, I can sense are probably quite important uh, for leaving with more of a deeper level of understanding, right? Because people can have all kinds of experiences and it, it kind of like goes in and then it goes out, right? Um, so we want to have these experiences kind of integrate and... Uh, stay with us as they say. Um, so I think we already touched upon like why maybe working with a therapist or a coach before using psychedelics is um, important um, or plant medicine. Is there anything further that you want to say about that? Or do you think we've covered that piece? 
No, I think we, we've covered that piece. Another thing that I like to share is, you know, as people are seeking out um, experiences is to be is often friends are very um, eager to share their own experiences and make their own recommendations. Um, what I always say to people is if you've seen a big transformation in that friend, then you can probably take those recommendations uh, with a degree of, of, of seriousness. On the other hand, I think that we, I think a lot of people see that people who say they've had a life-changing experience, but everything in their life remains the same. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a distinction there. So what we're looking for is, you know, people who, who have really gone through a transformation or, you know, providers and practitioners that really have guided people from one place to another place. Uh, and that turns up in, in big changes to the way in which people are living their lives. If it's a, if it's a true transformation, um, they probably aren't working the same job as uh, they were 12 or 18 months ago, for example. Mm, yeah. Yeah, people are like, what is going on with that person? Like, it's completely changing everything. Um, again, the medicines do have a way of uh, illuminating, you know, where we may not be authentic in our purpose, right? So we're talking about retreats. Um, so I think now is probably a good time for us to talk about like, what does a retreat look like? Um, you know, obviously you host retreats. So like, where, where do, where are they? And like, what do they look like? What does it actually look like? And is it a therapeutic retreat? Is it a commercial? Like what exactly are we talking about? Yeah. So there's two ways that we, um, well, actually three ways that we um, typically guide clients. So the first is through a seven week program, which includes a one week retreat. Uh, the second is group retreats. Uh, and then the third is we also do private retreats, um, which is quite a bit of our quite a bit of our work. So um, in terms of the, the, the three weeks before and the three weeks after a retreat, you know, it's really helping people get prepared with the tools and the understand the self understanding um, a lot of there's a lot of mental and emotional work to be done pre-retreat. And then, as you alluded to, integrating the experience to make sure that we're actually getting the shifts to the quality of life that we're looking for um, and really you know, committing to that future self and, and, and charging hard towards those outcomes that uh, came through in the uh, in the retreat. Um, but when we speak about the retreats themselves, um, typically we do one week retreats. Uh, there are a lot of places out there who do much shorter ones, but we think it's important for people to take the time and the energy for themselves. Um, and, you know, that allows three ceremonies over the duration of a week and allows a lot of time for some, you know, some nature walks or horseback riding on the beach or, um, you know, all sorts of other fun activities that we sometimes do. Plenty of time for yoga, for meditation, resting, reflection, journaling, all those things that you'd want to do on a, on a transformational retreat. Um, and then, uh, and then we also, uh, during private retreats, we tend to do things a little bit more flexibly. So it really, it really depends upon where our clients are at energetically. So that's nice because, um, you know, we get quite a few clients who just want to go far and fast. Uh, and if they're going to do this, they don't want to do it in a context, and, you know, 
full of people that they'd never met before. Um, but in, on our group retreats, we also do um, much smaller groups than is typically the norm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of retreat centers out there that do 15, 20, 25, 50, even 100. Some retreat centers are doing 100 people in one room. Now, for me, you couldn't pay me um, to enter a room with 100 people, you know, reliving their uh, earlier life challenging experiences because just energetically there's too much moving around and um, yeah I, maybe there is a healer or a shaman in the globe that could manage uh, that much energy in one room but I've, I've yet to meet that person so um, we tend to keep it pretty contained so that we can manage um, you know we can keep a really close watch on on everyone in the group setting and um, and make sure that they're you know they're really connecting with one another in a deep way and it's just a it's a much more I think magical way to do um, to do group retreats rather than something uh, larger in nature. Yeah, I imagine that would be just way too much information all at once. And yeah, I don't know that I would want that many bodies and people around me, especially, you know, if if you're going through a transformational experience and you're experiencing things like, you know, too, too, too many people, not, not enough space. Um, yeah, so, so that's great. And, and noise too, right? I mean, if you've got someone going through the dark night of the soul, dark night of the ego uh, type of experience, and, you know, they're not doing that very quietly, typically speaking. So, um, you know, six or seven people, that's manageable. You know, maybe we might even pull a person out if they're having a particularly hard time. But if there's 100 people in the room, I just, I can't even imagine. I don't want to. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned... Um, that usually it's like a one week retreat and there's sort of three ceremonies. So what, like, what does a ceremony kind of look like? Just generally speaking, you know, is it, you know, is there like a leading up to, and then there's the, the plant medicine and then like, what's quote unquote, generally speaking, happening during that time is, is there some sort of facilitation guidance? I mean, I have no idea. So <laughs> I'm curious about what that experience looks like. Yeah, it really, it really depends a little bit upon uh, the medicine and the retreat, right? So um, what you'll find again, and this is generally speaking uh, with a psilocybin ceremony, they tend to be more like late afternoon into the evening. Um, whereas with ayahuasca, it makes you quite photosensitive, sensitive. So you actually start in the evening and go into the early morning. Um, and then with 5-MeO-DMT or Bufo, uh, it's a much shorter experience. So the peak of the experience is something like 20 to 30 minutes. So it allows um, the ceremonies themselves to be more individualized around the individual um, rather than as a group. Um, but for psilocybin ceremonies and ayahuasca ceremonies, yeah, typically, you know, there'll be some movement practices, perhaps even some meditation during the day. Um, and then, you know, often we would work on our intentions, uh, reviewing, you know, where we are, where we are at, where we want to be. Uh, I think these medicines are very powerful when we anchor around our future self. Um, because then they can show us the things that we need to be willing to let go of to bring forward uh, and bring through that future self. And so that's a very powerful way. Uh, and then, you know, typically someone there who's um, facilitating, guiding, 
the retreat will work through with each of the clients on their intentions, um, you know, talk a little bit about their intentions. Often, you know, there's some changes or some additions uh, based upon the conversation. Uh, and then that's kind of the lead up to the, um, to the ceremonies themselves. Um, if we take an ayahuasca ceremony as an example, you know, typically speaking, you'd come together, say, around seven o'clock in the evening. Um, you know, do some um, kind of, I would say, some rituals to open the ceremony. Uh, and then people will drink the medicine. And then about, you know, 30 or 45 minutes after drinking the medicine, uh, then it starts to take effect. Um, if you've heard much about ayahuasca, you probably know it has a purgative effects. It, it often starts by working on the physical body. And so, um, you know, it has a strong detoxification uh, component as well. Um, and, you know, the way that I look at these medicines is that, uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to reconnect mind, body, heart, and spirit in the ways that they need to be. Uh, and then they're trying to move us up into a higher vibration, a higher level of consciousness. And so once we've been able to harmonize mind, body, heart, and spirit, then we're moving up. And then, you know, that's when we get the transcendence, the uh, mystical experiences that often people are looking for. Uh, but it's also worth, you know, for people to recognize that, that consciousness exists in polarity. Uh, and so we don't always travel up into the bliss as we might hope for. And sometimes we can travel in the other direction. Uh, and that can be, you know, that can be pretty, pretty frightening at times. And so, um, you know, often, you know, there's some help and some support and some guidance for people. Uh, if they're having a particularly hard time, you know, the shaman or the healer will go and give them some special attention and some guidance on, you know, how they might like to navigate the experience as well. Interesting. I'm curious about the down. I mean, I, I suspect deeply if I like, if I sink into my body, I suspect that sometimes we have to see things we don't want to see in order to be able to like, so I suspect that the down experience is part of the up experience. hundred percent. Yeah. So for, you know, as, as this work progresses, what we're trying to do is to expand our consciousness, right. To, to reach a higher vibration. Um, and the thing that's not keeping you, the thing that's keeping you from a higher vibration, exactly as you said, is that the opposite pole, there's something down there. Um, that is keeping you from from reaching yet a higher vibration. It's our natural, shall I say, state to be elevating in vibration. So there's some resistance there. And so we have to indeed travel down and reconcile and be ready to release some of these lower level energies that, you know, and sometimes they're not ours, right? Sometimes they came through our lineage. Sometimes they came um, from, you know, childhood traumatic memories that we don't remember. Uh, and it's not like it's something who that is inherently our fault, but they do exist within our being. Uh, and so, you know, I've had multiple experiences where traveled down, you know, transmuted something there that's that's pretty low energy and come out feeling 10, 20, 30 pounds lighter. Uh, and you're just, and that's weight that never comes back. You're just like, wow, those now I feel like there's a there's a, a kind of a space in my in my gut where there was something before and now it feels like there's nothing there but in a really good way uh and uh, yeah it's a, it's a liberating experience whenever that happens it's it's surprising even if it's happened before it's it's ever everlastingly surprising because it's just so liberating in its nature wow yeah so who and again and we i'm sure we've already alluded to this but like to be more explicit about it is like who are these retreats for 
Yeah, so we um, we serve, I would say, a lot of people who, well, when I started Behold Retreats, I was really focused predominantly on leaders and executives. Um, and that was just because I see that that's a group that's, um, that's very traumatized uh, on the whole, because um, that's part of why they're so determined in the professional world, because they're disconnected from their inner selves. But um, we have expanded a bit from there. And, um, you know, what, what I had initially envisaged and hoped for uh, was that there would be a large market that was ready to do this work in relation to performance, just improving overall health and well-being. That doesn't seem to be the case. There are some clients that come through with that motivation, but I would say, broadly speaking, um, people need to have some sort of trigger point, right? As you mentioned before, maybe it's like they're kind of that life is just not on track for them or, you know, they're going through a divorce or they hit the midlife, the job isn't giving them any more, uh, any more, any more joy, like, like it was for myself. Um, so there needs to be, often there needs to be like some sort of specific problem that people want to kind of uh, work on. Um, and for us, you know, again, I had envisaged that we would mostly attract first timers, right? People who had not done this work before just because of the way that we kind of structure the seven week program, et cetera. But it's actually turned out that there's a lot of people out there who've done a lot of medicine work, recognize that they're still not doing so great. And now they're like, okay, I want to do the mental and emotional work this time and, and hopefully I'll get more out of it. So that's been actually a surprise, but, but I think also a blessing. I think those, those clients tend to be a lot more, a lot harder work to be honest, because they've already unsuccessfully used this tool. Um, but, uh, but you know, we, we do what we can for them. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, I want to talk now about the heat, like about the p- facilitators, the people who are running the ceremonies, right? Because you sort of, I mean, we've sort of alluded that there are, you know, individuals who are hosting a hundred people and you're maybe like, I don't know if that's, if a human can hold that much energy, I suppose there could be. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about like how you select healers to guide these journeys. Are they, you know, I'm going to put in air quotes because I don't know if this is the right word or right term to say, but like traditional versus Western healers. Um, Can you speak a little bit to that piece? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll do a slight tangent because I think it's um, it's relevant to the question, which is that um, you know often people say, well, this is the right way to do this, you know, to do this experience. I think that's a little bit of a limited purview, just because I think what people naturally will gravitate towards what works best. I think over time. Um, and so there, you know, as I shared with you, we do the work in different ways based upon where a client's at, their needs, et cetera. Um, and indeed that's also reflected based upon medicine, based upon location and based upon retreat center. Um, so that we, even within our ecosystem, you know, there's different ways that, that we do the work. Now, now that being said, you know, I think, yes, absolutely. People can have profound experiences without a healer but because my experiences personally have been so much better working with a healer virtually all of our retreats i think all of our retreats have a healer um, in them because the energetic work is is so fundamental so important to this now we do work with um i would say you know indigenous shamans as well as what i would call western healers 
Um, often people, you know, they hear that the right way to do this is, you know, to go, you know, upriver in the kayak, in the canoe, group of 20 people out there in the absolute jungle. You know, that's that's pushing it, I think, for a lot of people. I think these are already pretty intensive experiences. Um, people say, you know, of course, that's how the tribes and the indigenous communities used to do it. And I, and yes, that's fair. That's accurate. That's true. But these are people who already lived in these communities. They lived in these places. They had these rites of passage in, on a regular basis. And so they didn't carry 10 generations of intergenerational trauma into the experience. And after the retreat, they were being returned to the community and to the tribe. And so for someone to you know, fly down from New York off a trading desk uh, and, and be you know, pushed out into the jungle without any of their comforts and, uh, and, and go through what is likely to be uh, a series of potentially quite, you know, quite uh, shall we say, confronting uh, nights with the medicine can actually traumatize people more than um, than uh, <laughs> what they were looking for in terms of uh, in terms of a healing experience. So I say all of that to say that there's not necessarily a strict right and wrong in my books. I think you know there are people who hold the space with integrity and with love and with a lot of experience under the belt. You know, and that's what we're looking for to a great degree is how many you know how many um, how many ceremonies has, has someone facilitated? The last thing I'll say is that one of the ways, and this is kind of, that's all the rational stuff. And then there's the non-rational stuff. What we're really looking for is someone who's operating at a high vibration as well, because that means that they've actually had the deeper breakthroughs themselves. They're able to guide others towards those deeper breakthroughs as well. You know, in physics, if we have two frequencies and um, they're combined with one another, the, the lower frequency harmonizes up to the higher frequency. And I think, you know, collectively, that's a, that's a, a process that's unfolding across the globe uh, at the moment. And so if we've got, you know, if we've got a healer that's working on a low vibration, then the likelihood of some client coming in and breaking through and, you know, having this beautiful transcendent high vibration experience is much lower because the, 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 the whole space is being set at a low vibration. It's being kept at a low vibration by the facilitator themselves. Um, and so you would think and you would hope that in this line of work that virtually all the healers and all the shamans and all the practitioners would be operating at a high vibration. But unfortunately, that's that's not fundamentally uh, as straightforward as that. So, uh, again, I share that without any without any judgment, without any right and wrong, but just to help people be able to discern and to be able to, I guess, uh, tap into the energetics of any organization or any healer, any practitioner that they're thinking of working with, you know, really try and understand where this person is coming from. Uh, and are they going to be able to lead you to where you want to be? And that should be reflected in, in their own energy. So if there's a person that's like, I would like to go on a retreat and they go to Google and they start, you know, typing, <laughs> typing these things um, in and then they see like different, you know, let's say um, websites, uh, you know, how, how would they know if the healer, like how, like, how would they know about the healer and their, I'm, I'm trying to get really practical here in terms of somebody's trying to figure this out. Like, how would they know? Like, is it, do you guys, is it disclosed in, um, 
you know, in the website, like in the about the healer <laughs> section yeah. or how, you know, how, how is somebody going to um, optimize their decision-making as to yeah. if this person is or is not, because you can get a really good marketing team to make you a really good website. Right. So I'm curious about what, what you say to that. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, and I can't do it now today is my honest answer. I have healers on our team that help us pick any new healers uh, because they are. And, and it's funny because it's, it's always the same answer. Uh, you know, I, I would often get two or three tests done. Uh, I, I get a little, I get a sense, you know, just from a conversation and from looking at a photo, I can get a pretty good sense, um, but I'm not able to do that myself. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I often point to is what's interesting is if you go to any retreat aggregator website, what you will see is that number one, there's a lot of experiences out there. Number two, they're all being rated as five stars. So that tells us a couple of things. Number one, people are having profound experience, profound positive experiences almost universally. And number two, it also tells us that at the moment, people are not able to discern quality. Mm. Um, if we went to airbnb and we saw that everything was five stars we would be like okay what's the, the game is up here like this is not this thing is not fulfilling the intention of of the rating system here um and so you know that's that's just the reality uh and so this was this was even as i shared with you this was my reality for more than three and a half years you know popping along to these various retreats that again on paper and photos and they looked like all really nice people they were really nice people they did take care great care of us in on the physical the mental and the emotional side even though i was kind of overlooking those ones but the, on the energetic it was just it just the the skills fundamentally weren't there so um i'm just trying to think of something useful that i can i can give to you and your guests and i think that um i think the best thing to do is just to speak i think the best thing is just to have a really good conversation uh with an organization right so i mean a lot of the organizations it's just like book now take it or leave it and they take a really re retreat centric view of things um it's like look if you want to come to our retreat great if you don't that's okay um and i think that's a little bit i don't know i think for 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 people that's a bit limiting and a bit off-putting to a great degree because um, you know, we, you know, our organization, we always want to take the time to understand, like, are we a fit for them and are they a fit for us? Um, because, you know, if I just take one example, there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, a, a lot of drug addicts out there that are exploring plant medicine to help them recover from their addictions. Um, and that's not us. Like, um, we, we, we want to help lots of people. We are helping lots of people, but the, the people who are recovering from addiction need a very specific container in order to be able to help them get the results that they're looking for. And we don't provide that container. And so we get a lot of clients who are like, oh, come on, come on, just let us come to a retreat. And it's like, look, this isn't in your interest. It's not in our interest. And it's not in the interest of our other clients because you're going to have a very different experience. And so uh, we just encourage people to speak to any of the um, retreat centers or the experiences that they're, look they're thinking of um, joining in and just seeing what sort of questions you get asked. You know, if it's like, hey, what's your name? What's your age? Do you have any mental health disorders? Come on down. Um, then, you know, maybe you like to work with someone who's a little bit more thoughtful in relation to who they're working with and why. Um, and so, you know, I think taking that sort of approach is, is probably as good as any in terms of filtering out um, good experiences versus uh, less considered. 
Yeah, that's that's great advice, um, or at least some tangible things that people can consider. Like, can I get on the phone with these people? Can I chat with somebody on the other end about <clears throat> what this might all look like? So I do appreciate that. I do want to talk about one other thing that I think is super important, um, and that's safety. I think safety is a big um, consideration. I mean, certainly there's been um, reports about, you know, things that can happen while people are under the influence. So, um, obviously the, so we're talking about like physical safety, but then we're also talking about emotional, mental safety, you know, and I put in air quotes, bad trips. Um, so can you speak to, um, perhaps at least considerations that your company has put forth in terms of safety about, again, who the healers are, how do we keep people physically safe, and then the uh, emotional mental realm. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I'm, I'm very proud of in, about our organization, we're actually about to, to share these guidelines out, is that we've put a lot of time and energy into safety. Um, because we are a larger organization than you know a lot of the mom and pop style retreat centers out there, we've just been able to invest more in, in that space. Uh, and so each and every one of our clients goes through a pretty in-depth medical screening. Um, and if there's any kind of flags there, then they actually speak to uh, a doctor, a medical doctor, psychiatrist, uh, and making sure that they're actually prepared for such an experience, they're actually fit for such an experience. So that's one. Um, the other, th there's kind of a funny story in relation to this, which is that um, uh, there's a, a clinical therapist that we had hired to help us develop our, our medical guidelines. And she said, hey, you know, there's, um, I found these two medicines that only exist on ayahuasca contraindicated medicine lists. Uh, and she says, so what's happened here clearly is that someone has developed a list of contraindicated uh, medications and then they've made up two medicines and they've just added it to this list and everyone else has just copied the same list. And so these two made up medicines are, are they only exist on ay ayahuasca contraindicated medications list, but they're not real medicines. And she said like, they're on everyone's websites, like all these, these two made up medicines. So it just goes to show that like, you know, again, people are not necessarily in a position to invest in, in, in great detail. And there's also, new medications always coming out there's you know updated updates in terms of our understanding of contraindications um you know there's things like covids there's vaccines so there's a lot to consider in relation to to safety um i'm going to speak about it in in the perspective of the physical which i kind of have to a, a great degree then there's the the psychological right um the the major contraindications there are people who have a, you know a predisposition or um, genetic predisposition or any history of psychosis, bipolar or uh, schizophrenia. Some of the best, some of the biggest breakthroughs are with bipolar. Um, so there are now some clinical trials that are running, um, but again, you, that needs to be in a very particular and, and acute uh, container. Um, and then of course there's safety as it relates to the experiences themselves, right? So assuming that Number one, that they've gone through the right screening, they've provided accurate information, they've got the good, the good to go from the doctor, and they don't have any of these, um, you know, contraindicated uh, psychological conditions. Then, broadly speaking, these experiences are safe. Now, the exception to that, and this is like one in 
10,000, one in 20,000, something like that. It's the people that have one of these um, psychological disorders, but haven't yet had a major break. So typically those are people between 20 and 30 that have a gene genetic predisposition. They were going to have an episode at some point in time, but the medicine is, is you know, something that can trigger, bring forward um, that, uh, that event. And so, you know, we've never, you know, knock on wood, we've never had uh, any such client, but certainly there are a few retreat centers that have done really high volume um, that have had a few clients that fit that description. And, and look, it's, you know, it's ultimately it's kind of chalked up as, um, as an acceptable cost given the benefits to quality of life that come for the other 9,999. So um, that's really, that's really the kind of the, uh, the medical and psychological safety aspects. And then obviously when it comes to the, the ceremony themselves, um, you know, it's, it's really important that there is a high proportion of people facilitating and supporting relative to the number of people, um, just so that, you know, people can get the help that they need. People can be helped to the bathroom, all of those kind of logistical sorts of things. You know, people who are having a particularly hard time can be pulled out into, um, into more, you know, more support um, because of, you know, the, the challenging experience that they may be having. And then, and then of course, uh, emergency protocols. Um, and again, that's not something that we've ever had to use, um, but to have those in place so that you know that if things get really bad, then what is it that you're going to do? Um, you know, often, often retreat centers will have on, on location antipsychotics. Um, those will give you the absolute worst hangover of your life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or so that I've heard, um, or, or indeed, you know, taking them to uh, more acute psychological care, psychiatric care uh, at a nearby hospital. Okay, so basically, you know, having more people present that are, you know, facilitating the experience, who are obviously not having an experience themselves, um, so that they're able to... <laughs> you know, provide the, you know, support. And, and again, if it's in smaller groups, it's much easier to um, make sure somebody doesn't wander off or get taken somewhere that they're not supposed to, you know, be going right. So small groups, lots of facilitators. And then of course, having contingency plans in place. So everybody knows what needs to happen. Should something be happening? Indeed, indeed. And it's, um, look, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where um, the shamans and the healers also have a pretty good sense, you know, they again, the, the people that we hire are very tapped in energetically. Um, and so I think we've had one instance where a shaman was like, this person's not ready. Uh, so even though they had, you know, they had come, they had got the medical okay, they had everything, you know, super excited to be there. The shaman was like, this person is, is not, this is not in the interests of this person. Uh, and so, you know, in our, in our agreements, we said that ultimately it's the, uh, it's the facilitator's decision whether or not to, um, to serve medicine. It's not something that's guaranteed uh, on, on the experience. So, um, you know, in these cases, we of course do refund clients, but it's, um, it's, it's something that, uh, has an energetic element to it. And so, uh, if we ever tap into that, not being in the highest interest of the client, then it's not in our interest. And so we, we don't proceed on that basis. Yeah. That's good to know as well. Um, so tell us a little bit about, so like, tell us a little bit more about your company, your retreats, where do you host 
these retreats um, and where can people learn more information or where can people find, follow? Yeah, sure. Um, so most of our retreats we do in Costa Rica, in Mexico, uh, Netherlands, and Portugal. Uh, we are also going to be opening up in uh, Peru this year. Very excited about that. It's a beautiful place to do this type of work. And um, yeah, you can find us on behold-retreats.com. Uh, as I mentioned before, you know, if you're interested in exploring a journey, uh, you have to speak to a real human, you know, fill out an application and then uh, one of our team will, will be in touch with you and um, we'll see if we're a mutual fit. Uh, and otherwise you can find us on Instagram at behold underscore retreats. Excellent. And we'll put that information in the show notes so people are there. can easily uh, find those details. Uh, Jonathan, I want to thank you very much for taking time to, um, you know, chat with us about this because I, you know, certainly I think there's a growing um, interest in this area. And so uh, I think it's just important to have a more broad discussion about, you know, what people might be getting into just because it's a fad doesn't mean everybody should do it uh, kind of thing. But you know, to really consider that there's there's work to be done when you're looking for this um, type of experience. So I appreciate your perspective um, and your share. Great. Thanks for having me, Madeline. Much appreciated. And of course, we want to thank our listeners for joining in. You know, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast because every week we have a different type of discussion centered around trying to live a better life. So be sure to subscribe, share the episode, and we'll connect with everybody on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.